Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zora. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective coming to you live. Well, good morning again. This and welcome to Africa Rise and Shine on Channel Africa from an African perspective. And we're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We're on DSTV's audio bouquet, Channel 802, and on www.channelafrica.co.za. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Amanda Machaka, Tabiso Lohoko, and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, South Africa's parliament elects Cyril Ramaphosa as president and vote counting continues in Malawi after Tuesday's presidential elections. In economics news, South African Central Bank likely to keep repo rates unchanged. And in sports news, the IOC announces 10 fresh candidates for its executive. But first up, the news with Amanda Machaka. Thank you, Lulu. Good morning. Sudan's military says it wants to hand power to a democratically elected government as soon as possible in the aftermath of former President Omar al-Bashir's overthrow. The council has been locked in talks with an alliance of protest and opposition groups demanding civilian leadership for a new sovereign body to oversee a three-year transition to democracy. Sudan's main protest group, the Sudanese Professionals Association, has called for a general strike, saying the military was still insisting on directing the transition and keeping a military majority on the council. Talks were adjourned in the early hours of Tuesday, with no new date set for their resumption. Malawi's Electoral Commission Chief Jane Ansa has called upon stakeholders, including political parties, to refrain from announcing premature results, pledging that the commission will start official declaration of results as soon as 20% of votes cast have been tallied. Citizens went to the polls on Tuesday, casting their votes to elect a president, members of parliament and local government councillors. President Peter Mutarika is seeking a second term and has been challenged by his deputy, Saulos Chilema, and the leader of the country country's biggest opposition party, Lazarus Chakwera. The main opposition candidate in Malawi has taken a slight lead as the elections body continues collating and announcing results. Early results in India's general elections suggest the governing coalition of the BJP and its allies, led by the Prime Minister Narendra Modi, are heading for a comfortable majority. The National Democratic Alliance is poised to get well over 300 seats in the lower house of the Indian Parliament. The BBC's Rajeni Vajinathan reports. 
With 900 million eligible voters, this is the largest democratic exercise the world has ever seen. The campaign was in many ways a referendum on the first term of Prime Minister Narendra Modi. As leader of the Hindu nationalist BJP party, his brand of politics has been seen as divisive, leading to the increased marginalisation of religious minorities in this secular nation. But his populist appeal has captured the imagination of many Indians, who've grown tired of decades of rule under the dynastic Congress party. The World Health Organization has declared that Algeria and Argentina are now free of malaria. This means that there has not been a single case of anyone catching the disease in either country over the past three years. The WHO's declaration is good news in the face of concern that malaria may be making a resurgence. According to the most recent annual figures, global malaria cases are no longer falling. Algeria is the second country in Africa to be officially recognized as malaria-free after Mauritius, which was certified in 1973. And finally, further clashes have broken out in Indonesia between the security forces and protesters opposed to the re-election of President Joko Widodo. Thousands of people have been arrested. In earlier clashes, six people were killed and hundreds injured. The BBC's Celia Hatton has more on the latest violence. second night of violence in Jakarta as riot police use tear gas and flares to subdue protesters disputing the outcome of the presidential election. Video footage shows rows of demonstrators throwing stones and fireworks at lines of officers. The protest began after it was announced that Joko Widodo had beaten his challenger, Prabowo Subianto. The defeated candidate, a religious conservative, has complained of large-scale electoral fraud, but he's offered little evidence to support that. For Channel Africa News, I'm Amanda Machak. Join world-renowned Harvard economist and corporate strategist Mark Kramer and other exciting speakers in Nairobi, Kenya, at the Africa Shared Value Summit from 23 to 24 May 2019. Hear how business thought leaders and changemakers have transformed their organizations through profit with purpose. Book your ticket at africasharedvaluesummit.com today. Channel Africa is a proud media partner of Africa Shared Value Summit and will be broadcasting live from the summit. Make sure you don't miss out on the broadcasts on the 23rd and the 24th of May 2019. Log on to www.channelafrica.co.za or Southern Africa DSTV 802 to listen. Channel Africa from an African perspective. South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa has made an undertaking to be the president of all South Africans, and not only for those who voted for the ANC. Ramaphosa was responding to his election as the president of the country in the National Assembly. He was elected unopposed. He says he is honored and humbled to be elected president of the Sixth Democratic Administration. Lula Mamadja reports from Parliament. 
The sixth parliament has been duly constituted and President Cyril Ramaphosa has been elected unopposed as the new president of the country. Ramaphosa was nominated by ANC Chief Whip Pemima Jodina and seconded by the party's Mado Dandombela. Chief Justice Mukhweng Mukhweng presided over the election. And I accordingly declare the Honorable Cyril Matamela Ramaphosa, duly elected President of the Republic of South Africa. I seize this opportunity to congratulate you, Mr. President, on your election as President of the Republic of South Africa. Political parties congratulated Ramaphosa's election and called on him to work with them to build the country. They were, however, quick to say that should Ramaphosa appear not to respect the laws of the country, they won't hesitate to hold him accountable. Here's DA leader Musi Maimane, EFF leader Julius Malema, and IFP leader Mangosutu Butelezi. And I wish to say to you that when the decisions that you take are for the interests of our nations, and for the people of this country, we will be the first ones to support you. It is also to say that when those interests are about shielding those who need to take accountability for the time that has come before us, for those who have looted from our nation, I wish to say, sir, we will be holding you to account that those members who have looted from our country actually see jail. You must never ever listen to those who say you are right against the courts of South Africa against chapter 9 institutions of South Africa. Those are the institutions which are meant to defend our democracy and they will forever uh, guide us. If you are serving the best interests of our country, Your Excellency, I can assure you of of, uh, our support. If you do the right thing for South Africa, I would honest you that this is kind of constructive opposition we've tried to give to this House. History has chosen President Ramaphosa for the present task. May he be the leader that our country needs at this crucial time. The FF Plus leader Peter Kronewald, ACDP leader Reverend Kenneth Meshwe, and UDM leader Bandu Olomisa asked Ramaphosa to work on nation building. You must ensure that the interests of the people of South Africa is more important than the interests of your political party, the African National Congress. You have certain constitutional obligations, Section 83. You have to ensure and enhance nation building in South Africa. There are people out there who want to see leaders who respect one another, leaders who operate in line with the Constitution. Leaders who understand that people who differ from you are not enemies. And therefore, they would want to see order in this place. Those who refer to your past as a soldier know you as a person of order. So the ACDP requests that let the people of South Africa see that there is a change in this house. Oye, President. Congratulations, sir. And I hope that uh, in solving the problems of this country, you will, you will apply a non-partisan approach. In that way, you will get a lot of support from this house. 
Patricia Dilil of the Good Party, PAC's Mzwanele Nyonzo, Hanif Hendricks of Al Jama, Vuyoloetu Zungu of the ATM, and Musua Likota of COPE also offered their support and committed to work with Ramaphosa. But we would like to see that the whole government is um, accountable in a constructive way, in a way that can build this country to make sure that the most vulnerable and the poor people in our country deserve better. And we hope and wish that the Sixth Parliament will repossess and restore our land to its rightful owners. Congratulations. As the ATM, we want to commit ourselves to the Parliament that will put South Africa first. And if you also put South Africa first, you will be working with us. The first fighters came from Malaysia. And they came to, to conquer colonialism in Cape Town. And there's still some work to be done. We hope to make a contribution in that regard. Congratulations, Mr. President. The ANC says it's pleased that the proceedings in the House went well. ANC MP Gwede Mandashe explains. We are quite heartened by the fact that today we are cooperating. We are hoping that that will be the character of this sixth parliament, that we work together. It doesn't mean that when you are cooperating you are captured. It just means we are working together with one objective to build a better country and it is the responsibility of all of us. In his response, Ramaphosa made an undertaking to be the president of all South Africans and not only for those who voted for the ANC. I have to speak to all South Africans and to advance the interests of our people. I will be able to work, yes, with whoever, be they in business, be they in community-based organizations. I will, like Madiba did, I will be able to work with kings, to work with them and queens and captains of industry and all and sundry without losing the common touch of the masses of our people. That I will not do. Ramaphosa will be inaugurated as the president of the 6th parliament in Pretoria on Saturday. Lula Mamakia in parliament. Provincial legislatures across South Africa have elected premiers and speakers. In the Gauteng province, ANC chairperson David Makura will serve his second term as premier. Other premiers elected yesterday include ANC Stan Matabate, for the Limpopo province, ANC Zamani Sol for the Northern Cape province, and the DA's Alan Windy in the Western Cape province. Horisan Sitole reports. ANC Gauteng chairperson David Makura has been elected as the premier of Gauteng. He was competing against DA Solim Simanga. Makura beat Msimanga by six votes. He banked 38, while Msimanga got 32. This will be Makura's second term as Gauteng's premier. It's a great honor and privilege for me to accept to serve the people of our province once more as a, the sixth premier of this province. Uh, I am deeply humbled by the re-election by this house and commit to work firstly with all the parties because I am confident we can work together. In the Western Cape, 
newly elected Premier Alan Vinde has committed his government to focusing on service delivery on issues that were raised during the elections campaign. This parliament has a role to play whether you're elected as government or you're elected as opposition. I uh, would then also like to say to every member elected here today at the start of the sixth parliament and that together we make sure that we improve the lives of every single person in this province. You know, we went out on the road and we were opponents in this campaign and we now go to work to the betterment of all of the people of this province. In Limpopo, Stan Matabata was victorious yet again. He says, corruption will not be tolerated in his administration. However, former member mayor Joyce Razilani, who invested millions of the municipality's money into the controversial VBS bank, is a member of Matawata's caucus. We recommit ourselves to jealously guard against any tendency that seeks to reverse the gains of the past 25 years of freedom and democracy. At the core of these tendencies is crime and corruption. We therefore implore on all of you to join us in our renewed efforts to fight corruption. Sisintombelo was re-elected Premier of the Free State. She has urged all political parties to work together to develop the province. A counterpart in the Northern Cape is ANC Chairperson Zamani Saul. Kwazulu Natal elected Sihlezigalala, who committed to move with speed in accelerating service delivery, including growing the economy of the province. In the coming five years, we shall continue to work together to improve service delivery fight poverty and unemployment, fight crime and corruption, promote rural development, fast-track radical economic transformation, and revamping our health and education system. Newly elected Eastern Cape Premier Oscar Mabuyani, who's also fending off corruption allegations, has committed himself to fighting corruption and save the people of the province. This new chapter has no place for corruption. The establishment of a specialized unit to deal with corruption cases in the NPA indicates the seriousness of the ANC government to fight corruption. We want that unity to extend its footprint in our province so that it can be in close proximity to investigate and prosecute cases of corruption in both provincial and local uh, government or local spheres of our administration. That's the Premier of South Africa's Eastern Cape Province, Oscar Mabuyani, ending that report by Horisani Sitole. Channel Africa, together with Radio 2000 and the South African Broadcasting Corporation, is celebrating Africa Day at the SABC in Auckland Park on the 24th of May 2019, between 900 and 1500 Central African time, when 15 African state embassies showcase the best in their country's culture through food, music and fashion. Tune into www.channelafrica.co.za or DSTV802 and be part of the celebration on Gateway to Africa's live broadcast from 11 till 12 Central African time. Channel Africa bringing you the African perspective.
Two days after vote counting began in Malawi's tripartite elections, various presidential candidates have called for speed in the way the vote counting process is being conducted by the Malawi Electoral Commission. Currently, only 35% of the votes have been declared officially. From the look of things, the battle is between incumbent President Peter Mutarika of a Democratic Progress Party and Lazarus Chakwera of the Malawi Congress Party. George Mango reports from Blantyre. From what has been gathered at the Mentali Center in the commercial capital Blantyre, partial official presidential and parliamentary results are expected to be out any time tomorrow. This is unlike in the 2014 tripartite elections when a day after the voting process, partial results were made public. The battle is between incumbent President Peter Mutarika of the ruling Democratic Progressive Party, DPP, and Lazarus Chakwira of the Malay Congress Party, MCP. Already, there are complaints from Chakwera with regards to delays by the Electoral Commission officials to releasing at least partial results. Chakwera, who also came second in the 2014 polls, thinks such delays are questionable. If you are a monitor and you find the result sheet, make owns you a copy of that result sheet. And if the next presiding officer has refused to give you a copy, report that officer to our party headquarters so we can expose them. Like I've been saying, no one is going to steal this election. Enough is enough. However, the Malawi Electoral Commission is expected to make public results in the next five days in line with the new legal requirement that was passed into law during the immediate past parliament. Chairperson of the Electoral Commission, Jane Asa, parallels away breaking fears, saying there is tight security in all district tele centers. Up till now, we have 1,436,400 one casting ballots from 1,782,000 out of the 500. 5,002 centers. This represents 35.67% of the 6,859,570 total registered voters. Out of the 1,436,400 cast ballots, 1,416,000 415 are valid and 19,985 are now void. This is how the candidates stand on presidential elections. 1. Lazarus McCarthy Chakwera, Malawi Congress Party, 533,217 votes, representing 37.65%. Dr. Saulos Klaus Chirima, UTM, 293,978 votes, representing 20.76%. Professor John Eugene Chisi, Umod Party, 5,786 votes, representing 0.41%. Reverend Hadwick Kalia, Independent, 4,308, representing 0.30%. Peter D.S.D. Kwani, Mbakwago Movement for Development, 
MMD, 6,113 votes, representing 0.43%. Adubele Mulusi, United Democratic Front, UDF, 48,766 votes, representing 3.44%. Professor Arthur Peter Mutarika, Democratic Progressive, Progressive Party, DPP, 524,247 votes, representing 37.01%. While Malawians wait for the outcome of these polls, incumbent President Peter Mutarika through his office, has called for patience from the general public. Tariqa, who is 79 years old, further said all candidates should abide by the electoral code of conduct which all contesting political parties signed prior to the pause. I, I don't expect to lose. It's, it's quite obvious that we're going to win. But, uh, but in the unlikely event that we, we lost, we would accept the results. Yes, we are all committed ourselves. Everybody, I think we signed an agreement. Uh, that uh, you know, Malawi is very peaceful. I'm sure I've seen how peaceful it is. Nobody's fighting. Always had peaceful relations in this country. And there was allegations. Um, we've had those things uh, 2004, 2009, even 2014. But then after a day or two, they accept the results. Whenever the situation where people go out and riot and there's war, no, not in this country. So people complain that all oh, it was rigged, but after a day or so, they realize that. Uh, that was not the case, uh, and they continue. And um, well, I'll g- give you an example. Uh, one of the candidates I defeated in uh, 2014, I brought him in my cabinet as one of the ministers, and, and now he left. He's running again, uh, you know, for his party. But that's a good example of how we tolerate each other after elections. What is clear at the moment is that some big names in the previous cabinet of President Mutarika have lost their parliamentary seats, and these include Henry Musa, who was the Information Minister at Bele Mulusi, the Health Minister Nicholas Dawusi, Homeland and Security Minister. Initially, Vice President Saul Silima, who stood on his United Transformation Movement party ticket after leaving the Democratic Progressive Party DPP, is trailing Mutarika and Chakwira of MCP in unofficial results so far. Chirima's party has not even clinched any seat at the moment. George Mhango, Channel Africa, Blantyre. India has kicked off the mammoth process of counting the roughly 600 million votes cast in the world's biggest election. Exit polls had pointed to a victory for Prime Minister Narendra Modi and his Hindu nationalist government. Opposition parties are also urging India's election commission to count the paper trail attached to electronic voting machines, EVMS, before turning to the EVMS amid reports of rigging by changing the machines across the country. Members of 22 groups, including Adil Singh Bhupparai of the main opposition Congress party, called on the poll watchdog, insisting voting machines were being switched to favor Modi and his BJP party. There are videos out in public domains. Please don't take it merely as an empty allegation. There are videos. Even the EC admits that this tantamounts to a violation of their own guidelines. How can the BJP or the EC for that matter shy away from answering on these points? There are videos for God's sake. Democracy is indeed under threat. There are videos. You can't brush this under the carpet. National elections ended on Sunday 
and India's former President Pranam Mukherjee said it was now for the Election Commission to uphold democracy. If we want to strengthen the institution, we shall have to keep in mind that institutions itself are surfing well in this country and if democracy has succeeded, it has succeeded largely due to the perfect conduct of the elections by the election commissioner. Prominent opposition leader Chandra Babu Naidu also built pressure on the Paul Watchdog, which faces wide charges of supporting Modi's BJP party. Former election commissioners also endorsed our view. Former president of India has made it very clear it is the duty of the election commission to keep transparency, to maintain transparency and also create confidence among Indian voters. We are asking to respect the mandate. People's mandate cannot be manipulated. So it is just like cancer. If you are having cancer, you have to cut that finger. But Modi's spokesman Raman Malik mocked at the opposition, even as celebrations rang out in the BJP party headquarters. Former president of India talks, they are least bothered about it. The Supreme Court says, let the country elect its government. Stop interfering so much. There's an Indian secularism industry also. People who thrive on selling the fear that the secularism is in danger, plurality of the country is in danger. There are these people. And if something like this happens, an election result like this happens, their shops are going to be shut. So they have to sustain their livelihood. A slew of exit polls released on Sunday projected the BJP would win up to 313 seats of the 543 available in India's lower house. For Newsbreak, this is Zaina Sen reporting from New Delhi. Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms on Facebook, Channel Africa One, on Twitter, at Channel Africa One, and YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. It's 8.30 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Our headlines up next with Amanda Machaka. Thank you, Lulu. Good morning. In the headlines, Sudan's military says it wants to hand power to a democratically elected government as soon as possible in the aftermath of former President Omar al-Bashir's overthrow. Malawi's Electoral Commission calls upon stakeholders, including political parties, to refrain from announcing premature results, pledging that the commission will start official declaration of results as soon as 20% of votes cast have been tallied. And early results in India's general elections suggest the governing coalition of the BJP and its allies, led by the Prime Minister Narendra Modi, are heading for a comfortable majority amidst vote-rigging allegations. Details on these and other stories at the top of the hour.
It's 8.31 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. The Life Healthcare Group in South Africa is highlighting the importance of physical activity to treat the symptoms of seasonal affective disorder. This is a condition that affects an estimated half a million people every winter. A lack of regular exercise and diet can lead to seasonal affective disorders. For more on this issue, we are now joined on the line by Dr. Laverne Mountainy, a psychiatrist based at Life Mental Health Life Riverfield Lodge. Dr. Mountainy, thank you so much for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine and a very good morning to you. Good morning, Lulu, and thank you very much for having me. Now, Doc, what exactly are seasonal affective disorders? Uh, Lulu, seasonal affective disorder is, is described as an episode of depression that would occur annually at the same time each year and as you've said earlier um, usually around the the winter period so so this is the time of the year where we see this condition present more um, as the season changes into winter. It is more prevalent um, usually in the areas of the world where there is um, less sunshine um, but we've seen it being more picked up also now in, in countries where there is abundant sunshine because of people's lifestyles. People go to work at early in the mornings when it's dark, come back when it's dark, um, and don't leave, leave their offices or their jobs during the day to get outside. So we are seeing an increase of it also in countries where there's not a lot of sunshine. Now, who is more prone to this disorder and why? Women are more prone to depression in general, and um, and there's not a great understanding of why that is. I think um, that we, we know that hormonal changes can play a role there, and we see the, the index of depression happening during the reproductive years in women. Um, also, people that are prone to depression um, struggle more during this period where their depressive episodes are manifested by the change in season. Um, so anybody that has a predisposition for depression um, is at risk to, to have it complicated by a seasonal affective disorder. How harmful is it and uh, what impact does it have on those that it affects? I think the, the concern is if you look at the symptoms, they can overlap a lot with the birth of depression and um, it could impair a, a persons and an individual that struggles with this functioning quite dramatically. Uh, people would struggle with um, concentration, they would struggle with oversleeping, they would could end up with symptoms of anxiety and despair, and they end up avoiding social situations, there's irritability and, and decreased energy and fatigue. And if we look at the combination of the symptoms, it would impair an individual's functioning during this period. Um, and as I said earlier, it could then predispose to, to long-standing depressive episodes. Now, you, you mentioned earlier, and we also touched on the fact that, uh, you, know, um, uh, you know, physical activity, um, you know, treats some of the symptoms of um, this uh, seasonal affective disorder. And uh, people seem to take lightly that physical activity uh, has a huge impact on generally a, a person's uh, entire health system. That's entirely true, and there's a lot written about exercise, the antidepressants nobody wants to take. 
So uh, I do think physical activity is important for, for everybody's health um, capacity, but certainly if there's a predisposition to depression, I think physical activity is also then important to be outside. Um, as I said, sunlight plays an important role, specifically from the seasonal pattern to, of this disorder, um, and, and, a, and a bonus would then be to, to be able to do your physical activity outside. We do know that physical activity releases a neurochemical called dopamine, and dopamine is your neurotransmitter of joy, of pleasure, of happiness. So um, we can certainly not underestimate the value of physical activity in general health, but specifically in mood disorders. How easy or difficult is it to diagnose and treat the condition? Um, I think specifically seasonal affective disorder can be a complicated condition to treat if you if it's first onset, you're not going to need to know what the pattern is if there hasn't been previous episodes um, that specifically ties to a certain time of the year. Not everybody is vigilant about their symptoms and, and we're tired to the winter months changing but we do have patients that that you know know the dynamics and we tell us you know this time of the year again um, and they're struggling so I think it, the fact that it also overlaps with a lot of depressive symptoms makes it a bit more complicated to, to diagnose um, but I think individuals that that identify some of the symptoms in terms of changing in patterns changing in sleep patterns um, frequently appetite changes people crave uh, sweets, they crave starchy foods, and then there's weight gain. Um, that goes together with fatigue. Must be vigilant to to see if those symptoms don't persist um, over time, and if there is a specific pattern over the over a certain time of the year. And then they would need to speak to their doctor if they see these symptoms occurring. And what can people do to reduce the risk of seasonal affective disorder? I think definitely looking at their exposure to sunlight um, is meaningful. We do know that that light uh, affects the rhythms of our body. Um, it plays a role in, in, a, in a chemical called melatonin um, that regulates the rhythms of our body. So light exposure is important. So we all need at least half an hour direct sunlight a day to keep the, the rhythms going. So that's an important thing to look at. And then, as we said earlier, exercise and unhealthy eating patterns. Is there a general understanding of uh, seasonal affective disorder or do people get get confused and and not really know what this disorder is? Is there enough information out there? I don't think there's enough information out there. As I say, in in the countries where sunlight is not abundant, I think people are more aware and there is even a concept of light boxes or light therapy where people would use uh, you know, in countries where it's dark and there is no sunlight, they would sit in front of a light box with a certain ultraviolet frequency for light therapy. So I think it's more uh, awareness, greater awareness in countries where there's not a lot of sunlight. But in countries where there's a lot of sunlight, people are probably less aware of it. And, and you know, we do think there's abundance of sunlight, so we, we shouldn't get this disorder, but uh, people don't get into the sun anymore. So I think there is there's a greater awareness and, and education needed. Dr. Levine Mountainy, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Have a wonderful day. Thank you, and to you too. That's Dr. Levine Mountainy, psychiatrist at Life Mental Health, Life Riverfield Lodge, joining us on the line. Just a reminder, Spotlight Africa, a feature program that showcases and highlights African issues from an African perspective, can be heard every Wednesday at 1000 hours UCT with repeats on Wednesday at 2000 hours 
Thursday at 300 hours and Sunday at 1300 hours UCT. Listen to Spotlight Africa, a program that interrogates issues from an African perspective. Spotlight Africa. With drought in Somalia on the verge of affecting 2.2 million across the country, almost a fifth of the population, UN agencies are calling for urgent funds for critical livelihood support. In an interview with UN News, the head of the UN Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Assistance, OCHA, in the capital Mogadishu, Justin Brady, noted the resilience of the Somali people. We had come into the year with a forecast of an average long rainy season, what is called the goose season here. Unfortunately, due to the cyclones in the southern Indian Ocean, the rains were inhibited from moving north, and the forecast has radically changed to a much more uh, negative outlook for the season with an initial failure of the rains. Uh, We're seeing some localized rains now, but much of it coming too little too late for the agricultural sector in the country. And how many people are affected or could be affected by this drought? Somalia is a protracted crisis, so we entered the year with uh, an estimated 1.5 million people in crisis and emergency as far as food insecurity goes. Uh, That number was elevated to 1.7 million after the dry season uh, that ended in March, and the estimate now uh, though it is based on a uh, hopeful prospects for rains in May and June, which, again, are not materializing, is that we will climb to 2.2 million people in crisis and emergency as far as food insecurity goes. Now, if we look at uh, 2017, uh, when we faced a famine warning, uh, we, faced, uh, we, we had a total of 2.9 million people in crisis and emergency. So, Uh, We're not at those levels, uh, and we don't expect to get there, but they're certainly climbing very quickly, heading into uh, the the remainder of this rainy season. And what is the UN doing to assist the people? Well, with our partners, we are working uh, in coordination with the government and both at federal and state levels to mobilize resources to activate the mechanisms that we put in place in 2017, which proved successful in averting a famine. A lot of that is cash-based programming, uh, using the markets uh, that are functional in Somalia uh, to allow people to access food and to uh, step up uh, in areas of nutrition, health, and water availability across the country, really, now. Uh, The the situation in the north was already bad. Uh, In the beginning of the year, we had received an allocation from the Central Emergency Response Fund Rapid Response Window for Drought a couple of months ago, uh, and unfortunately now uh, we'll uh, be expecting the need for additional resources, not just from the surf, but uh, what we've appealed for two days ago was $710 million uh, from June till the end of the year in order to scale up response uh, sufficiently to meet the needs. And are there any personal stories um, of the people that you've met, that you've spoken to, that you would want to share? The stories, unfortunately, are reminiscent of uh, 2017, reminiscent of 2011. Uh, We're seeing these erratic weather patterns that are uh, synonymous with climate change in Somalia, leaving people uh, in the worst situations. A single mother-headed household uh, displaced 
from her village, not just by drought, but also insecurity having an impact on that. Uh, and she's come uh, to the outskirts of Mogadishu, settled into an informal settlement, and is now reliant. And uh, to know Somali people, uh, they are not ones who freely accept charity. And uh, it's difficult for them to be put in a position where they are reliant and dependent on others for their, their well-being. Another good example, I think, is discussions with a minister at the state level who raised the question, if this continues, how viable is a pastoralist lifestyle going forward? And that's not just a question of a livelihood for 65% of the population in that state, but it's the identity of that population itself. They are nomadic pastoralists. Their grandfathers and grandmothers, their great-great-great-grandmothers and grandfathers were nomadic pastoralists. So you're talking about uh, an impact on people's lives, their livelihoods, but also their identity. That's uh, Justin Brady, head of the UN Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Assistance in the Somali capital, Mogadishu, speaking to UN News' Paulina Greer. Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We are coming to you from Johannesburg, right here in South Africa. I'm Asanda Beda, your host. Change Your Game, the program that promotes open discussion and social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the African entrepreneurship ecosystem. Trevor Mumba now joins us in studio to talk about his entrepreneurial and personal journey. Welcome to Change Your Game, Trevor. Thank you so much. Um, it's an honor to be here. Palesa Mukubung, who's a designer. Welcome, Palesa, to Change Your Game. Thank you. Your role at the fourth annual Fashion Without Borders event? I just know that I need to arrive and, and, <laughs> okay. and do my part and do it really, really well. Yeah. Our economics update up next with Tabiso Luhuku. Good morning. You're listening to Channel Africa. The South African Reserve Bank's Monetary Policy Committee will announce its rate decision this afternoon. Most economists expect a five-member committee to keep rates unchanged. Lower economic growth and inflation that is comfortably within the bank's 3-6% to 6% target band are among some of the reasons that could prompt the bank to take an unchanged monetary policy stance. Economist Rezia Khan could broadly expect the Reserve Bank to remain on hold with the repo rate staying at 6.75%. A lot of the interest, however, is going to be in how the Reserve Bank's forecasts change. There are many who have been arguing that there should be a more dovish stance. The Reserve Bank itself has emphasized the need to keep inflation expectations managed, that it is looking to achieve inflation of around 4.5% on a consistent basis and a lot will depend on how soon they expect growth to bounce back. 
Delegates from various fields who are gathered at a two-day conference in South Africa's capital, Pretoria, say African continental unity and investment in youths will ensure radical economic transformation. The experts spoke about challenges and opportunities of the 21st century to drive development, peace and security to revive Pan-Africanism. Ghana's president, Nana Akufo-Addo, says that the prudent measures taken by his administration and the Bank of Ghana to save and sanitize the banking sector are beginning to yield positive results. Akufo-Addo says that the banking industry performance in total assets, total deposits and net loans and advances also positive growth. According to the March 2019 Banking Sector Report of the Bank of Ghana, an assessment of the banking sector's performance during the first two months of 2019 showed a well-capitalized, profitable, liquid and stable sector with strong prospects for increased financial intermediation. A federal judge in New York has refused to block congressional subpoenas seeking financial documents from two banks related to President Donald Trump and his businesses. Judge Edgardo Oramos' decisions allow a Deutsche Bank and a Capital One Bank to turn over financial documents related to the president after congressional Democrats from the House of Financial Services and Intelligence Committee subpoenaed records belonging to Trump. He's a Trump organization and his children. Show in Bryce Peace reports. The ruling came just days after another federal judge sitting in Washington, D.C. said the president's accountants through a company called Mazars LLP had to comply with a separate subpoena from the House Oversight Committee for the president's tax returns, which he promised to release but never did. Trump is appealing that ruling. In the second case, Trump family lawyers filed suit in late April challenging the demands that the banks hand over financial documents arguing that House Democrats were attempting to harass the president so as to rummage through every aspect of his personal finances and private information, including that of his family. Deutsche Bank, for example, has lent the president's real estate company millions of dollars over a long period of time. The House committee say they need the president's financial records to investigate possible foreign influence in the U.S. political process. Sherman Bryceby's SABC News, New York. China's foreign minister has slammed U.S. moves against telecom giant Huawei as economic bullying and warned that Beijing was ready to fight to the very end in its trade war with Washington. The trade spat between the world's two top economies escalated after President Donald Trump issued orders on grounds of national security last week that have prompted several foreign firms to distance themselves from Huawei. Japan's Panasonic is the latest to announce its cutting back business with Huawei in light of the U.S. ban. The U.S. dollar is trading at 358.75 Nigerian Nara, 10.62 Botswana Pula, 100 Kenyan Shilling and 13.73 Zambian Guacha. In BRICS currencies, one U.S. dollar will cost you 4.3 Brazilian roll. 6432 Russian ruble, 6964 Indian rupee, 690 Chinese yuan, and 1437 to the South African rand. The US dollar is trading at 78 pence to the British pound and at 89 cents to the euro. 
A look at commodities markets now. Gold, $1,272. Platinum, $798 pounds. The price of Brent crude oil is at $70.57 a barrel. Tabisolo Hogo, Channel Africa. Our sports update up next with Figile Lingwati. In our sports update, we begin with cricket news. South African national main cricket side, the Proteas, are irritated by bumpy practice field in Cardiff. Proteas fielding coach Justin Ondong feels that the surface of the team's pre-World Cup practice facilities is not up to scratch. The former all-rounder says the team had mostly focused on their catching as the outfield was bumpy and difficult to field on. The Proteas are being hosted at the Cathedral School in Cardiff ahead of a warm-up match at the Sophia Gardens against Sri Lanka on the 24th of May. South Africa faced England in the opening match of the 2019 Cricket World Cup at the Oval on the 30th of May. And in netball news, Netball South Africa, the NSA president Cecilia Mulukwane says the Spa Proteas netball team is better than Bafana Bafana in terms of rankings. The netball team is currently ranked 5th in the world, while Bafana Bafana ranked 14th on the continent and 73rd in the world. Mulukwane said this when Netball South Africa announced a strong team to represent the country at the 2019 World Cup in Liverpool in England. We are better than them on the rankings. Never compares with Bafana Bafana. <laughs> we are number five in the world. I don't even know how, what number is Bafana Bafana in the world. So we are already better than this teams that are going to the World Cup. So to us, that gives us a boost on its own to say, the girls, I've talked to Ellen in our spiritual talks now when we're sitting here, and she told me how badly she wants to, to change the rankings that we are in. And I know the girls want to change the rankings. So I am saying to the other teams that you say they're going to the World Cup, all I can say to them is we are not competing in this country, we are complementing each other. And in football news locally, South African Premiership side Maurice Beck United made sure they are in the driving seat in the Prima Soccer League promotion playoffs with a 2-0 win over Chakuma Chaba Zibandila, the TTM in the Limpopo province yesterday. Judas Musiamedi came off the bench to score United's first goal in the 67th minute when then Bongugu Shlongwane netted the winner in the 82nd minute. The PSL side sits in first position on the playoffs logo with six points from two matches. The winning coach Eric Tinkler says the victory was well deserved. Well deserved when, in my in my opinion if I judge the, the 90 minutes I think even in the first half they didn't really hurt us. You know, we defensively, I thought we were very, very solid today. Uh, offensively in the first half, very good until we got into that final third. Got into that final third and I thought we were a little bit wasteful. You know, what was good to see today was both sides functioning, both the left and the right, because against the Eagles only the right-hand side functioned, but today both sides were functioning and we caused them problems, you know, getting into that final third. Just there we were very, very wasteful. We had in my opinion, great opportunities to, to at least take the lead. 
And finally, with athletics, the former head of Kenya's track and field team has been banned from athletics for 10 years. An IWF ethics panel found Major Michael Rotich agreed to give advance notice of drugs tests to athletes and coaches for financial gain. It said the purpose of the agreement was to assist those athletes to flush their system of banned substances before taking doping tests. Rotich managed the Kenyan athletics team at the 2016 Olympics in Rio. The IAAF panel said he sought to obtain personal pecuniary benefit from the deliberate subversion of anti-doping controls, thereby distorting competition. That's your sport news this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories in Africa, rise and shine at the Sawa. South Africa's parliament elects Cyril Ramaphosa as president and vote counting continues in Malawi after Tuesday's presidential elections. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Pumutu Ramagaza, technical producer Wiseman Mangrele, and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at infochannelafrica.org, WhatsApp on 277-6300327, or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa. Taking us to the top of the hour for the news on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za is Manu World Star with the song titled Nali. So divine, African dime, melanin in those dyes. These are the dudes, don't make it easy to talk to you. So I hold my peace, maybe one day you'll see. Nalingio, mama, mama. Nalingio, mama, mama. Nalingio, For you, the way you walk, the way you talk, the way you take care of you. I swear I lost my focus when you stepped in the room. You're all a blissful beauty from your head to your shoes. Shooting, big body like one dumb. Look so good and I want some. Them boys highlight you, I want. Hala sunrise to the sundown. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mudimu made you with blessings. A man employee give your work to me. Come and wine for me. Nalingio, mama. 